Hello, Dog Nation Daily listeners. First of all, thanks so much for being a part of our program each and every day. Uh, as many of you are aware, we recorded the show today live from Truist Park before the Braves and the Nationals. We were celebrating Champions Week with the Braves and UGA, and that's been a lot of fun. We did have a little bit of an audio issue with the beginning of our show, and it was bad enough that I'm not going to include it as a part of today's podcast. So if you want to check out the full video, you can pick up on what you missed. But as I said before, it's, it's just a little echoey, and I'm pretty sensitive about what we put on our podcast feed. So I don't quite think that makes the mark for us here today. So we're going to do without that. I'm going to give you the rest of the show, though, because it sounds fine. Mike Griffith, and of course, some thoughts from me after that. And we'll be back in our normal format again tomorrow. So thanks, as always, for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. And... I'll see you back here in a normal situation tomorrow. Here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. Happy to be able to check in with Mike Griffith. You're a little bit different type of format for us. We're live at uh, the Battery Atlanta today in Sport and Social, which means we can't talk to Mike on the phone. So he's good enough to pre-record something with us to air during the show. So, Mike, thanks for making time with us. And obviously looking forward to G-Day on Saturday. And happy to preview that with you and everything else going on with UGA right now. So thanks so much for your time. You bet. I guess let's start here before we get to the G-Day stuff for Saturday. Obviously, big news that you were all over with your reporting on the weekend. Uh, a couple of Georgia offensive linemen, both former five-stars, Clay Webb, maybe less surprising, Marius Mims, you know, not unheard of, just given the chatter that had been out there entering into the transfer portal. I guess start with the Mims thing here for a moment. You've had a lot to write about that, but your kind of take on – like where this leaves Mims, where this leaves Georgia with the former five-star now exiting the program just before the spring game. Yeah, it's a, it's a sign of the times. You know, when, when you're a program like Georgia and, and Kirby Smart, it's stockpiled so much talent. Uh, certainly on the offensive line, there's a lot of depth there. Uh, it leaves you open for these sort of things with the passage of the one-time transfer. And certainly I know the NILs aren't supposed to be inducements at other schools, but you know, if, if we're being realistic, there there certainly would be some opportunities for for Marius Mims NIL wise at other schools, and you know it, it does provide maybe some suspicions of tampering, um, but but that's not surprising, and it's certainly not unprecedented, and it's nothing new. Um, college coaches just don't lose players' numbers when they lose the recruiting battle, and if there's opportunities for them to get players to transfer there, if they see that things aren't working out, or maybe they stay in touch with a family member. I think where Georgia uh, stands, though, I, to your point, this was not a surprise. This this had been talked about for months, not weeks. And um, I, I think Georgia in the short term is fine with Warren McClendon there. There is a chance, though, and I know this runs contrary to the convenient narrative that, he, oh, he just wasn't good enough. He, he was good enough. He is good enough. And Kirby Smart recognized that. And there's even a chance that Amarius, I think, much like Broderick Jones did last year, would have worked his way into the lineup over time. So I don't necessarily think it's about playing time so much as perhaps other opportunities that the family might want to explore. So I think that's really interesting. And you mentioned the idea of the tampering here. And, you know, that was like the first thing that I noticed from your story about, you know, schools like Miami and Florida State kind of immediately sort of emerging as, as favorites for, for Mims. And I said on the show, I'm going to be intentionally naive about this for a moment of, well, how could it be that a guy that just entered the transfer portal already has two favorites, uh, you know, two likely landing spots in the case of Miami and Florida State. And obviously we know the answer to that, but Mike, 
I, I do think this is the kind of thing that we ought to ask some serious questions about. In other words, I think that reasonable people can have room for disagreement about what the NIL world should look like, or even the one-time transfer rule should look like. That's a fair conversation. But the notion that there should be no rules whatsoever, that's the part that I feel like we ought to have more agreement on. We can disagree about transfers. We can disagree about NIL. We can disagree about a lot of things. But this notion that there should be no rules whatsoever for guys leaving whenever they want, programs reaching out to players no matter what, this is the kind of thing that professional sports take pretty seriously. Uh, you know, the notion that college sports should just laugh off, whether it be Mims leaving Georgia or some other player leaving some other program, the idea that it's just kind of an open secret that other programs might be recruiting someone off somebody else's roster. I mean, can't we at least take that a little bit seriously? Shouldn't we at least ask some questions about them? Oh, absolutely. I, I, the problem is the standardization of the rules, Brandon. I mean, this is where, you know, on the one hand, part of the reason we love college football is it is unique and there's 130 different programs. But that also presents a challenge because, you know, what fits best rule wise for Alabama and Texas A&M and, and, and Georgia doesn't necessarily fit best for uh, Utah State and Kent State and uh, Southern Illinois. And you're, you're trying to put some rules in place. Uh, and it's very hard because in college football, let's be honest, one size does not fit all. And one, so <laughs> the standardization of the rule is one problem. You really would need all of these conferences to be on the same page collectively um, in order to come up with a solution. And as we saw, unfortunately, there's a lot of SEC envy out there right now. And we saw that in, in the way that the Big Ten and some of the other conferences formed an alliance to, to derail the plan for a 12-team playoff. These conferences are clearly not working together. So because of the greed and the envy that you have out there, the conferences aren't in a good place in terms of all being in the same place. And then finally, even if you were to standardize the rules, Brandon, how do you enforce them? It's not the FBI. They don't have access to phone records and bank records. Now, there's been some NCAA investigations that have bled over into some federal investigation work, such as the the recent investigation into college basketball or even going back to Albert Means recruitment <laughs> Alabama. But those are few and far between. And I think many people would challenge that's not a good use of our taxpayer dollars or federal resources to, you know, to try to chase down rogue football coaches. So there are some challenges with this. Certainly, on, on the one hand, uh, you know, players, uh, you know, now have the ability to make money off their name, image and likeness, now have the freedom uh, to change schools like any other student, but there's been some unintended consequences uh, to the point that you made that, that have made this very challenging and certainly stressful, not just for fans, but but for coaches. Uh, it's not just recruiting the kid. You've got to re-recruit every player. And Brandon, yeah. I wrote a column the other day, 12 hours after the national championship game, Stetson Bennett was on television telling us he wasn't sure he was coming back to Georgia. I'm thinking to myself, wait a minute, can we can Georgia celebrate this just for a little bit before we get into whether or not Stetson's going to come? So this is every player now has to ask himself on a year to year basis. Is this for me? And the unintended consequence there, Brandon, is that now schools will say, oh, well, now we need to review. Maybe Clay Webb would have been gone last year. Maybe Georgia has to be more aggressive and cut a guy like Clay because Clay didn't even play last year. He was still on scholarship. My goodness, Tommy Bush got a four-year degree from George on four or five catches. 
maybe a guy like that isn't able to survive in a program anymore because this is going to become and is becoming a dog eat dog word world very quickly. G day is Saturday. I think it's interesting, you know, and interesting every year, maybe particularly so this year for a couple of things. What are you most intrigued by that may play out in front of the TV cameras and our watchful eye inside the stadium? What are you most interested in for Saturday, Mike? Yeah, you know, it's tough because we, we know that Georgia is very careful. They don't want to bring guys to the ground. The quarterbacks don't get hit. The last thing you want is a, a guy, a key guy injured in the spring game. It's not like you're going to, you know, leave Kenny McIntosh or Kendall out there to, you know, to run it, you know, 30 times between them for a 200 yards. So it's, it's really hard in that respect. I think just – I want to get a feel for just how the team looks. It's hard on offense because Brock Bowers isn't there. and He's obviously a central figure. And as I said, the quarterbacks aren't. I want to see the quarterback growth, okay? I want to see the growth from Stetson. I've heard really good things uh, about Stetson the spring, that he's having a really good spring. I think the decision-making faster, these extra reps, more timing with the receivers. I want to see how Stetson's progressed. But I want to see how Carson Beck and Brock Vandegrift have pre- progressed as well. Now, Gunnar Stockton is, is not going to be a threat for playing time next year. There's a lot to learn in this offense. It takes time. But sure, I want to see him in a Georgia uniform just like anybody else. Um, so the quarterbacks are always something we want to see. And, and then defensively, I guess I want to see what this front seven looks like. We're, we're losing a, a legendary front seven, uh, Brandon. I mean, you're talking about – you know, maybe six or seven of these guys drafted in the first 100 picks. I mean, this was a very special group. Uh, so who are the new? Jamon Dumas Johnson pops, number 10. Let me see how number 10 looks back there. What's the feel with Zion Lowe? We've heard good things. He's the guy that's going to be asked to fill the shoes of Devontae Wyatt and Jordan Davis as he lines up alongside Jalen Carter. And what about the secondary? How's the secondary looking? There's a lot of young uh, talent back there. You know, Dirty Dan Jackson from your hometown of Gainesville. Let's see how Dirty Dan looks back there. The true poultry capital of the world, by the way. The poultry capital of the world, as you said. You know, We have talked about this off air plenty, that that you were a little uh, unaware of that moniker. But those of us from Hall County are are quite proud of that, Mike. Well, you and Dan both are pretty plucky at times, I'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how Dan does and, and David Daniel as well. So the, the, the infusion of young talent um, and, and just in general, you know, just to be back in Sanford Stadium and, and I've waxed poetic about it to the point that we get in discussions about Jacksonville and neutral site games. But truly, Sanford Stadium and Athens on game days are, you know, to me, as someone that's covered college football 30 years, it's just the, the flavor of it and the pageantry. Um, it, it's it's magnificent. So let's hope the weather cooperates and and, and we can all just enjoy that spectacle on Saturday. For a lot of us who've been going to these games our entire life, it's always been kind of a joke about like the G Day superstar, the guy that you know plays great during a spring game. This is true in college football across the board. Of sometimes these are false positives, but we should point out, Mike, that last year it was not the case. That Georgia threw the ball to AD Mitchell a ton during G Day a year ago, really kind of affirming what had been a good spring for him. And then lo and behold, he catches a go-ahead touchdown in the fourth quarter of a national championship game there as well. That that's an example of. The spring game actually ended up foreshadowing um, a big season pretty well a year ago for Mitchell. And I think you do kind of wonder, does the same thing happen again on Saturday where we see a glimpse of something that really will resemble what we see more of during the fall? Yeah, it's an exciting thought. Um, you know, injuries obviously had a lot to do with uh, AD having an opportunity in the spring. I mean, when George Pickens down went down, there had to be a new X. And, 
And, uh, you know, that was a guy that JT Daniels and, and Stetson Bennett liked to throw to a lot. I think he had 13 or 14 targets in that G-Day game, to your point. So uh, I, I wonder, I, you know, let's be honest. Don't we all want to see what a Rick Gilbert does? I mean, oh, yeah. 14 is just uh, when you see him on the field, you know, just like Darnell Washington. And unfortunately, Darnell's been out this spring with a lower extremity issue. But. Eric Gilbert, I mean, he just, he's just bigger. He looks like the guy you create in the video game. Like, wait a minute, he's bigger than everybody else. That's that's not fair. You know, he, he's bigger. He seems to run faster. He's got great hands. Um, he's just a, a fantastic looking prospect. So we want to see, you know, I, I think a lot of people like Dejan Edwards. I think we all have a soft spot for Dejan. I mean, Dejan goes in the fourth quarter of these games. Everybody in the stadium knows he's going to get it. And he's still pounding out five, eight yard runs. So let's see how Dejon Edwards does and his reps behind Kenny and Kendall, both proven, um, you know, talents with what they've been able to flash. So to your point, I, I think we'll see some young talent like that have some opportunities. I, I think Lad McConkey, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Lad McConkey. I love the Lad, Ma, the Lad McConkey story, the, the skinny, puny little three star that nobody wanted that couldn't beg his way to a scholarship at his favorite school at Tennessee. And uh, good old Kirby takes a chance. And now Lad McConkey looking very much like a future team captain and NFL prospect that I think will will continue to bloom in this Georgia offense. So I said this to Connor Riley on Tuesday's show that you think about your show on Monday nights, the fan reaction that you get, the regular reaction to any Dog Nation story, my show that we're doing here each and every day, a big day from Eric Gilbert, even a big play from Gilbert. Uh, I would add a Dominic Blaylock big moment, uh, maybe a big run from Kendall Milton because folks are obviously excited about seeing more of him injury kind of taking him away from a little bit of the story, uh, you know, a year ago, credit backfield there as well. But to me, it's those three guys that probably have the potential of creating the most excitement among fans. Blaylock because he's back from injury, Gilbert because he's just back to the team again, and and Milton because I think he's in a bigger role that when I think about what could energize people the most, those are probably the names or the potential moments that probably come to mind for me, maybe more so than anything else. I think so. Certainly within the skill position ranks. I think the quarterbacks always hold intrigue. We probably always read too much into that. And, 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 and then we probably should, that will certainly be interesting. And just how are they going to split it up? I mean, I've got to think that, that, that Stetson and Gunner will be on one team, the one in the four and Vandergriff and back. And is it, is it kind of a beauty contest between Beck and Vandergrip? Are people going to be measuring these two up? Uh, I, I would think to some degree they might. And, you know, they're both extremely talented, and, um, and but, but in different ways. And so how will Todd Munkin use them? And, and so that's a curiosity. And, and, and how about this? Maybe one of the things we haven't talked about that could prove to be the most important of all these things, this is crazy, but the Australian punter. Now, we know that he has a dynamite leg. But, you know, Brandon, you never know how a guy's going to do in front of a big crowd. Yeah. And this is going to be Thorson's first opportunity. And, and we saw the growing pains. When you sat next to me in the press box these last four years. I have the bruises in my ribs uh, from your elbows to prove it. You sat next to me. As, at times, Jake Camarda would struggle at clutch moments. And you probably don't even realize that I was getting the Brandon Adams elbow when Camarda would shake one. But by his senior year, he was tremendous. I think he's the most underappreciated star on last year's team was Jake Camarda with the kickoffs and the clutch punts and kicks. And now you have to replace that. And how does this young Australian do under pressure in front of, well, at least the lower bowl sold out. I'm going to say there'll be at least 
70,000 people. How does he do in front of a crowd? I'll guarantee you Kirby Smart will be watching that closely. Mike, great stuff. Looking forward to your coverage on G-Day on Saturday. Obviously, continue to this week there at dognation.com there as well. Thanks for appearing with us. A little bit different kind of format here today. And we'll look forward to having you back in a live role again next Wednesday there as well. Uh, we will certainly look forward to talking to you then. Thanks, Brandon. We're back here live at Truist Park. or actually at Sport and Social in the Battery Atlanta next to Truist Park. And the festivities have started. The championship trophies are on hand. Georgia fans, Braves fans getting their picture taken with them. We'll show you some of that. I also want to show you this on the screen here a little bit, too. This is a Greg Maddox bobblehead coming up on April 26th. The Braves are going to be giving these out. They've had some great giveaways already. The replica uh, World Series rings were given out on Monday. The Braves have also been incredibly creative in recent years with their bobblehead. You know, last year they had the, the twin bobbleheads of Ozzie Albies and Ronald Acuna giving each other the high five. You got one, then you got the other. They connected together. How about Maddox holding all four of his Cy Youngs here right now? That is a really, really cool thing. First of all, like y'all know, I'm a big collector. I'm just into stuff like this. What an awesome uh, bobblehead this is. The, uh, Greg's, the, the Greg Maddox bobblehead here. The uh, four Cy Youngs on hand there for that. April 26th, those going to be given out. So that's coming up. That's going to be a, a lot of fun. And by the way, speaking of that time frame, that is also when we here at Dog Nation are going to be on our very first ever cruise with Dog Nation. And so many of you are going to be a part of that with us there as well. As we uh, head out on Independence of the Seas, uh, going to Port Canaveral, I should say leaving from Port Canaveral, going to Nassau on the Bahamas, going to Perfect Day, Coco Cay, having a great time with Royal Caribbean. I mean, how great is this? It's Braves today. You roll right into G-Day on Saturday. Uh, a week or so after that, you're rolling right into uh, Port Canaveral and leaving on Independence of the Seas. I am so excited about this. At this point in time, you may be thinking, well, I may, I may have missed the, the cruise with Dog Nation, but I want to do my own cruise. Well, trust me when I tell you, as you head towards the summer, that's a great time to start thinking about that with the Royal Caribbean. I was on Harmony of the Seas back in February. I uh, had a great time doing that. Big seven-day cruise that I had a chance to be a part of there. Uh, this is a, a four-night cruise we're going to be on, you know, coming up in April uh, in a couple of weeks. So with, whether you want the longer cruise, the shorter cruise, there are so many different choices for you with Royal Caribbean, so many great itineraries, and so many of those go to Perfect Day Coco Cay. And if I could give you one recommendation, that would be kind of my recommendation is to go out of your way to kind of find – that itinerary that does include a trip to Perfect Day Coco Cay, that private island oasis right there in the Bahamas exclusively for those on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Uh, I would tell you to do that because that is about as much fun as you're going to have. There's a thrill side, which includes a water park, tallest water slide in North America. There's a chill side, includes like private cabanas or, you know, uh, a chance to just hang out on the beach, which is what I really enjoy doing. Largest freshwater pool in the Bahamas. That's always really cool. Whichever side of Perfect Day Coco Cay you find yourself gravitating towards, when I tell you you're going to have a great time there, it's going to be a blast. So make sure you enjoy that. You can check out our friends at the Cruise and Vacation Authority, tcava.com, for more on their website. Or there may be like a last-minute chance to be on the Dog Nation Cruise if you want to do that, dognationcruise.com. Or like go to just the link at the top of the page at dognation.com. At this point in time, I know space has been very limited. It may, it may be limited from a time standpoint or just from a no more space available type standpoint. But if you want to sneak in there and try to get on board, uh, maybe still a chance to do that. The link at the top of the page there at dognation.com. As we're talking here, we'll also show you some of what was happening there uh, at Truist Park right now with the uh, World Series, the National Championship Trophy on hand. Braves fans, Georgia fans celebrating here today. 
Jordan Davis throwing at the first pitch. And I'll give you this, uh, if you don't mind. I'll give you that, if you don't mind. Uh, the uh, Georgia fans, Braves fans, having a great time. I'm uh, getting ready to come back after the interview with Mike Griffith. And walking by me right here was the legendary former coach of the Dogs, Vince Dooley, who's going to be on hand to give you the play ball here today. So uh, the, the you know customary greeting before the start of the game. So a lot of fun stuff going on. Here today, Truist Park, Battery Atlanta, Braves Nationals, 12-20 start. Final uh, game of the first homestand of the year for the Atlanta Braves with Max Freed on the bump for the home team here today. So that is all really good. We'll also keep our theme going here, SEC through, cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And uh, I want to look more at some of those over-under season win totals. Last week, we spent a couple of days breaking down some of those numbers out of the SEC West. We told you the SEC East would be coming. We predicted that Georgia would be 11 and a half. That is what Georgia is. I want to look at a few of these others here for a moment, including the other teams there near the top when it comes to the projections from the win in Las Vegas. Uh, interesting to see Tennessee now at eight and a half. There is a little bit of juice not, no, it's almost a, it's almost an even split between over under on Tennessee for a team that won seven a year ago. I would count Tennessee as the most surprising team in the SEC last year. I don't mind telling you when I get it very wrong. I got it very wrong on the Vols last season. I thought they would be one of the worst teams in the league. They had a winning record. They made a bowl to uh, the credit of Josh Heupel, who brought home some Coach of the Year awards and uh, some credit for all of that. But here's the one thing you understand. Taking that next step is very difficult. To have a projected win total of eight and a half after being, you know, thought of on paper as one of the worst teams in the SEC two off seasons ago, that's a very big jump for Tennessee. Now, maybe they make it. They bring back continuity at quarterback with Hendon Hooker. But for me, if I'm looking for, you know, a team out of the East to kind of make that run towards a nine-win type situation to, you know, to, to really put themselves into an advantageous postseason situation – I'm going to look a lot more closely at Kentucky, whose projected total right now from the win is at eight. More so that I'm going to look at that for Tennessee for the simple fact that Kentucky's been there. Kentucky won 10 games last season. Kentucky was a top 15 team uh, in 2018 under Mark Stoops. Yes, they've lost a lot. They've lost their offensive coordinator, maybe uh, you know as significant as anything. But this is a Wildcats team that has been now where Tennessee wants to go. And when you start thinking about how does Tennessee get those extra wins to go from seven to, like, say, nine, how do, you, how do you do there? How do you do that? Well, all of a sudden now you're talking about really having to go out and win a game that you weren't ready to win a season ago. Now, the Florida game that, you know, Florida beat you, Florida's not very good right now, so maybe that's an easy win to find for Tennessee. But, you know, Tennessee lost at home last year to Pitt. They have to go to Heinz Field for this upcoming season. You think about a road game at a place like LSU. That's a big swing game right there for Brian Kelly in his first year. On paper, there's more to like probably about Tennessee than there is LSU, but winning that game in Death Valley will not be easy. You know, yesterday we kind of did some of this with the Texas A&M schedule where, where, you know, all of a sudden you start looking at these schedules for the upcoming season. It's not too soon to do that. And when you think about very intriguing road games – Tennessee has a couple at LSU, then later on the season at South Carolina. Tennessee got the win against the Gamecocks a year ago. That was a big, big difference maker right there. You know, can the same thing happen again for us for a Gamecocks team that also impressed in 2021? Speaking of them, though, on the heels of that breakthrough season and 
uh, Shane Beamer's first year. Oddsmakers not thinking much of the Gamecocks right now. Their season win total sits at just six for now, even though they do bring in the big transfer quarterback, Spencer Rattler. I've told you before, I actually expect Rattler to have a pretty big season for the Gamecocks. I think he'll do well in Shane Beamer's system there. But sometimes, knowing that you got to play the entirety of the SEC East, crossover games in the SEC West, uh, an out-of-conference in-state rivalry game against Clemson, you know, having his success individually, you know, Shane Beamer's year two growth reflect itself in a improved season win total, a winning record at the end of the season, that may not be quite so easy. Uh, South Carolina is going to be a preseason top 25 team to begin the season, but Gamecocks historically play one of the toughest schedules in the country, if not the SEC, not the SEC. And an example of that for Gamecocks this year, this is another one of those schedule dates we've already looked at. They are at Arkansas the week before playing Georgia in September. That is a massive, massive moment for the Gamecocks. Can they go on the road? They'll be a pretty substantial underdog to Arkansas that day. Can they go on the road, find a way to sneak out of Fayetteville with a win, come back to Columbia the following week with a lot more hype and a lot more buildup for that Georgia game? There's probably a decent amount of hype for the Georgia-South Carolina game no matter what on the South Carolina side, but it's obviously ratcheted up even more if uh, South Carolina were to find a way to pull an upset at Arkansas the week before coming back home to play Georgia. But it just goes to show you that for a couple of teams that were surprises in the league a year ago with first-year coaches, Josh Heupel, Shane Beamer, expectations are still relatively meager for both those teams, especially the Gamecocks, for the following year. I gave you my thoughts on Kentucky already. I don't think Missouri's a very good team. Uh, Vanderbilt's obviously terrible. Florida sitting at seven. I think Florida's probably overvalued at seven. I think Florida in Billy Napier's first year, given the unknown at quarterback, given the you know fact they weren't able to really add very much in, Nap- in uh, Napier's first offseason, the recruiting landscape for coaches is just different now. It was possible when the signing day period was in February to come have a couple of months and pretty good, pretty, uh, a pretty good class together. With early signing period now being in December, with transfer issues, impacting your ability to even hold on to your old guys as much as bringing in new guys. It is a challenge for first-year head coaches in a way that probably didn't exist uh, a few years prior, certainly when Kirby Smart took over the Georgia job prior to the 2016 season. But whatever the reasons and the excuses are, the fact that, the fact is Florida did not have a very good offseason. And they did not put a very impressive roster together. So for Napier, he'll, he's going to have to do some work on the field just to try to find a way to get to a uh, winning record. Uh, that's probably worth considering. And for now, we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. We're live here at Battery Atlanta at Sport and Social next to Truist Park. Braves fans showing up already in really big numbers. Not easy to have. There's a lot of uh, Braves fans and Georgia fans stop by to say hello to us. Not easy to get a big crowd for a day game like this, especially the very early 12-20 start. Uh, kids obviously still in school now. If you're like my son, you played hooky today and come over here, uh, that's a little bit different. But uh, certainly not easy to get a big crowd. But in terms of the lines, uh, folks already waited. Go dogs! Yes, ma'am, good to see you. Uh, in terms of the lines already in place to be inside the stadium, uh, we're going to have a pretty impressive day game crowd here to celebrate with Jordan Davis and here to celebrate with, uh, with uh, everything else. Um, so uh, just a great thing to, to, to be able to see uh, this crowd coming together and everybody getting ready to have a uh, good time uh, there, uh, a lot of fun being had. 
the Jordan Davis throwing out the first pitch. Vince Dooley here to shout play ball. The uh, trophies there to get those pictures taken with. That's a lot of fun, and we're enjoying all of that. However, we're also here to talk Georgia football, too. So let me make another quick point here for a moment. There is a story that has been unfolding at Texas over the last couple of days that I think, in a roundabout way, probably reflects how I think the Arch Manning recruitment is going to go. There's, and I'll show you this on, from our friends at Football Scoop. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian speaking to reporters there in Texas, critical of one of his Texas players who had been critical of other players in the Texas roster about what he believed was a little too interested in you know some of the glitz and glamour that associated with playing at a big school like Texas with you know you know very uh, aggressive boosters and things like that and uh, a Texas player was critical of the Texas culture you may remember a year ago Bo Davis the Texas uh, defensive line coach was also critical of Texas players there as well and this Texas defensive lineman kind of following the footsteps of what maybe Davis had said last year well Sarkeesian was then critical of the Texas player who had spoken against some of his teammates saying that wasn't the time to do that, that you want to keep what's in the locker room in the locker room. I guess the point that I'm getting to on this is, is that all of this to me just feels like a very Texas story, if you will. You know, players speaking out against each other, players buying into their press clippings, players basking in the limelight. You know, Austin, from college town standpoint, is actually a pretty big college town, and it's very easy to kind of feel you're, like you're kind of in the – and kind of a glitzy, glamorous world when you're living there at Austin. It's kind of become more of a cosmopolitan-type city. And all of this playing out publicly, player criticizing player, coach then criticizing player, following up on the heels of a year ago, coach criticizing players, all of this happening publicly, all of this to me just feels very Texas. And as I've told you before, it's been commonly assumed that Arch Manning, even though he just took a visit to Virginia, that Manning probably wants to play in the SEC. Well, the way in which Texas goes about its business, despite the fact that it's about to be in the SEC, this is not how things are done in the SEC. These kinds of, like, dirty laundry don't get aired publicly very much. This kind of thing where a player feels empowered to go to the reporters and rip his teammates or a coach then feels empowered to rip the player who ripped the other, other players, all of this kind of soap opera drama type stuff, this is just not what happens in the SEC. So when you start thinking about Arch Manning's recruitment, I'm not ready to tell you where I think he's going to go, but I think I do have some confidence about where Manning's not going to go. Despite the fact that you see some online predictions, you know, some of the websites that chronicle these predictions, despite the fact that you see some instances where uh, folks think that Manning might end up at Texas, Manning's been thought to have Texas among his leaders, among his finalists, despite the, the chatter that's existed about there, I don't see Arch Manning going to school at a place like this. If I start to think about where I think the Manning battle is really going to center, you know, for me now it feels like a Georgia-Alabama battle. I don't think that Manning would want to be at a place like Texas where this kind of drama plays out publicly. And if you want to kind of, you know, really kind of diagnose why Texas is back as a prophecy never comes true, and yes, I know Texas beat Georgia in a bowl game a few years ago. We all know that. But in terms of being back on the national stage, being the kind of team that can compete for a championship, being the kind of team that can be consistently good, why does that never happen? Why hasn't that happened? I think some of the things you've seen play out with Texas the last couple of days, with all of the public criticism, all of this playing out very publicly, I think that's a pretty good explanation for why that's the case. The Manning family does not strike me as a soap opera family. They're not playing out their 
own recruitment in a very public way. They're not doing this, you know, in the recruiting limelight the way that some, you know, might typically do. And we don't fault recruits when they want that. But the Manning family's kind of chosen to sidestep that. If they're sidestepping the drama in their recruitment, it seems reasonable to assume they would also sidestep that drama when it comes to the school he eventually plays for there as well. In other words, I think there's just simply too much drama at Texas for Manning. So if you're going to start thinking about where he's going to go, we'll have to wait and find out about that. But I think it becomes a little easier to eliminate the Longhorns. My prediction, that's indeed what's going to happen. And we'll follow that, and we'll see if that indeed becomes the case. Let me also remind you, as a lot of folks out here enjoying some cocktails and having themselves a very good time, you have a great chance to do that there as well when it comes to our Fence of the Finish long drink. It goes great with the Day Braves baseball game or whatever else that you're doing, and you can check some out for yourself. Go to thelongdrink.com. You can put in your zip code, find out where you can pick some up, and find out about the four different long drink varieties to try, whether it be the blue can, that's the traditional. It's a uh, grapefruit flavor with a gin kick or the long drink cranberry. They've got a cranberry flavor. You've got long drink strong, 8.5% alcohol by volume. You've got the uh, long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar. There is a long drink variety that's perfect for you, or if you just want to try all of them, you can get the A-can variety pack, which includes two different uh, cans of each of the four different long drink varieties. Now, the long drink comes in the can. It looks like a beer, but it's not. It's a ready-to-drink cocktail. So you can get ready to enjoy some of that today. That is uh, really fun, and I hope that you will do that. Also to all of you, thanks for being here for our show today, live from Truist Park, Battery Atlanta, Sport and Social, Champions Week with the Braves. And if you're watching me right now live and you want to get down here, hey, there's still a chance to do it. You can get your tickets. You can race on over, get your picture taken with the trophy, but you got to hurry if you want to do that. Hurry for game time there as well, the 12-20 start here coming up. Just check out, just check out Braves.com slash Champions Week for the cool stuff that they've got going on today. And as we told you before, on the road here for a little bit, then coming back for a really fun homestand after that. The Greg Maddox bobblehead coming up, the Cubs coming to town. So some really fun stuff upcoming in the days ahead with the Atlanta Braves. And fun stuff for us there as well, including our golden shoe. By the way, speaking of the Atlanta Braves, Funny last night, uh, Braves beating up on the Nationals in a huge way, and um, the Nationals had to bring in a position player to pitch last night, which set up a pretty funny situation where, I mean, he's, you know, his dad was the great Flash Gordon, the former uh, pitcher for uh, the, the Kansas City Royals, but last night he's throwing like 50, 60 miles per hour, you know, just barely getting it over the strike zone. It's almost slower than the Braves could actually hit at a major league hitting speed. But there was the one moment where uh, Gordon for the Nationals plunked Travis Darno, not intentional, but, you know, this is a position player trying to pitch, so he's doing the best that he can. And Darno's reaction was hilarious. I'll show you this to you as a part of our golden shoe. Taking the 50-mile-per-hour pitch and then almost like soccer-style flop or almost even like pro wrestling flat-back bump style just, just goes right to the ground, uh, certainly having some fun. Braves players were laughing about that. Nationals players were even laughing about that, too. Everybody in the stadium was having a good time. That was a great thing to see. So we'll give Travis Darno a golden shoe for his actions there last night. And we'll also remind you, as I've got the Georgia-Florida hat on today, uh, 4,843 days. That's our Gator Hater updater. Georgia's got lots of championships to celebrate. Braves World Series trophy, Georgia National Championship trophy. Trust me when I tell you, those lousy, stinking Gators don't have any of that to celebrate. It's been a huge title drought for them, and they're going to be taking another L very soon 
from these Georgia Bulldogs. It'll be it'll be Billy Napier's first. It'll simply be Kirby Smart's next. It's uh, 199 days from right now. We are inside 200 days to the cocktail party in Jacksonville. We'll make that your Gator Hater Countdown. Thanks for being here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management. We will see you tomorrow. And on video, time now for the RS Andrews cool down. Uh, thanks for being here here today. Sun's coming out now. Weather's going to be perfect. We're going to have a uh, great time. Uh, for those of you live on video, I know we had a little bit maybe of an echo thing earlier. It sounds like they got fixed. Apologize.